we're having to storm our own beaches of, of tyranny to keep us from destroying ourselves. Howdy, folks. Welcome to The Virtue Signal. I'm Alfonso Rachel, my buddy Bill Whittle. And uh, you know how we do. We're going to talk about uh, actual virtue. I think I think we talk about actual virtue here, man. And we're not going to be giving over to the so-called virtues of these perverts. Free Tibet. Right. <laughs> so so look at Bill, I caught up with um with some paramounts of uh, some vir- of virtue uh, the other day. Um, Steve Harvey uh, was yes. having a conversation with uh, T.D. Jakes. And and the subject uh, I reckon is uh, is generational wealth, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 to get down to it, basically what they're talking about and patting each other on the back for, and getting the accolades from their audiences. Yeah, I'm taking m- me and my wife. We taking all our money with us. We are gonna spend like eighty five percent of it. And we're going to give the rest of it to charity. Aren't they such nice people? And the audience is like, oh, yes, that's right. Give it to charity. In other words, give it to us. And we ain't leaving nothing for our kids. <laughs> and I'm like, and this is seen as virtuous. It's like you're going to amass this wealth, but you're not going to give it to your kids. You're going to give it to charity. And man, you know, it, it, like I said, and this is not scriptural at all. And these people are, are, are theological superstars, right? Even, even the, the founder of... Um, Flipping Hobby Lobby, you know, conservative Christian hobby. He says the same thing. He's going to follow after the uh, the model of a, what is it, Patagonia or something like that? Some some liberal, you know, uh, 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 owned nonsense and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna sell off or I'm gonna give away my business. I'm not leaving it to my kids. And I'm like, okay, let me just kind of start off with this thing being an appeal to the world, it sounds good in the world, right? Because hey, no, nobody likes trust fund babies, right? Nobody likes people who got their wealth because they inherited it. So this sounds like an opportunity for an applause line to them. You know, man, what, what, do, you, what do you think, Bill? Wow. Um, first of all, so I, I, who'd you say Steve Harvey was talking to? I don't know the other person. I know Steve Harvey. Oh man, you're so lucky. Uh, T.D. Yeah. Jakes. Okay. Um, just because you mentioned his name, mm. uh, there's something about Steve Harvey that's really very different from virtually anybody else I've seen in show business. Mm. Uh, I like him quite a lot. Um, there's an, a, an incredible emotional depth to the guy. I'm not saying he's right about this issue at all. I'll deal with the issue in a second. But just there's just watching him on a number of levels, even watching him when he was hosting Family Feud, there's a, a self-awareness and a kind of humility and a and a... And a self-deprecation is a guy that I like. But just by sheer coincidence, just a couple days ago, I saw a clip where he invited this person on. And the first thing he did was sit down and say, I, I want to apologize. I did you, I did you terrible harm. And I didn't mean to do it. And it was as sincere apology as I've ever heard anybody on a televised thing. So there's definitely something to Steve Harvey uh, that is, that is deeper than, uh, than most people. And, and, and I find that I just like him very much. Now to the argument. I, I think this is an example, the argument is an example of of seeing something that's clearly detrimental, and then in order to avoid that detrimental thing, you go so far in the other direction that you actually start doing harm on the other side of the spectrum, right? We've talked about this before sometimes, how conservatives are under fire so many times, 
and so unfairly that now if, if a progressive or a liberal says something that's true, we immediately attack them, even though, you know what I mean? It's reflexive, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's not even, it, it's just reflexive. And I understand how we got there. So as far as this idea of, of leaving large sums of money to your kids, it, my experience in this society that we live in is I don't think there's anything worse you can do for kids. Maybe, you know, except for not have a family at all. But even then, I find that I've known a few trust fund babies and um, and I find them to be, this is my personal experience, I'm not saying it can't turn out otherwise, mm -hmm. but as a, my personal experience with several of them has been that there's something genuinely stunted about them. There's something, yeah, stunted, something's atrophied in them. Um, Part of it is the mechanics of, of why they're a trust fund baby. As a general rule, a, amassing a significant amount of wealth is a full-time job. Mm. And the trust fund babies that I know have emotional problems and are generally quite unhappy, not just because of the thing I'm going to get to, which is the actual money, but in order for there to be a pot of money to be looking forward to, dad usually has to have a, hot, a lot of other priorities that are more important than you are. So I think that kind of lays the foundation mm -hmm. of it. And please reference our other episode this week on family to get to, to the basis of some of that. But what I find about people who, who are setting up large inheritances for their people, I understand that this is the, this is the, that, that these guys are making the opposite argument. But what I find about people who, who have set large sums of money aside for their kids is that it, it, it it disincentivizes the kids not only to work, but to grow. The, the trust fund kids that I've known were either kids that were essentially waiting for their rich parents to die <laughs> or, or, or if the kid had, if the, the parent had already died, then they look at life as a series of intervals between draws, Right. They know that this enormous resources is out there. And in most cases, you don't get all of it. At least in some cases with trust funds, you get checks, right? And the people I've known who have been in that situation don't do anything that is, that is wealth creating on a, on a self-sustaining basis. Mm -hmm. They tend to have a bunch of really wild ideas that they get to fund every half a year or two years, whatever the case may be. But basically, it seems to me that when you make a, a large sum of money available to kids, and, you, and the kids know this from the beginning, then they spend their, they spend their time thinking about what they're going to do with this inevitable sum of money, which is coming, rather than determine what they're going to do with their lives in order to make either a large sum of money or in order to make the things that they want to do come true. So to me, a, a trust fund is, is a is a promise of future dreams being fulfilled that you don't have anything to do with other than wait. And that's a terrible position to be in. I remember when I first started filmmaking, I had some attorney, you had to do a prospectus if you're doing a limited partnership, it's a legal deal. You had to have a prospectus, it's a big deal. The lawyer had to write it. It's mostly boilerplate, but it still had to be done. And I met an attorney who said he'd do that for me for free. And, um, and, he kept delaying because he wasn't being paid for it. And my life consisted of calling this guy on Monday saying, how are we doing on the prospectus? Uh, he's out of town. He won't be back till uh, a week from Thursday. So now I got nothing else to do but wait for 10 days, right? It's a, it's a, it's a torture. It's a terrible form of torture. So anyway, that's the danger, right? So when, so when people say I'm not leaving anything to my kids, on some level they're saying, look, I don't want my kids to depend on the trust fund. Mm -hmm. 
good for you. But at the same time, you have the you have the means not to give the kids the money, but you have the means to launch them, mm-hmm. right? Not to not to cover them, not to build the thing for them, but you have the means to give them a a head start on success if 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 those values and those and those lessons have been taught at an early age. For example, um, referring to the same family I mentioned in, in the in the previous episode, um, they through hard work had managed to amass a little bit of money. And, and instead of saying, instead of essentially saying, "Here's a big pot of money, and when we go, here's what each one of you gets," what they basically said was, "Okay, kids, speaking to them as a as a group." We think you need to learn about business. What kind of business would you like to go into? We'll put enough money in to start the business, but you will run the business. You will do all of the dirty work of the business. And whether the business succeeds or fails will be based entirely on you. They decided they wanted to be um, alpaca farmers. So that's what they did. And because they were because they were incentivized in a loving way and in a disciplined way, rather than just saying, can't talk to you now, I got to go make some more money, you know, don't worry, your 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 hunk of change is coming. Because of that, and because the, the parents followed through, you know, if you're going to be a farmer, there's some tough decisions you have to make. Sometimes you have animals that you love and you just have to put them down or you have to sell them, or whatever the case may be. And so they seem to be incredibly successful at it. And I think that if, you're, if your entire purpose is to say, I'm not going to give my kids anything, then you will breed a kind of resentment over that, right? Mm-hmm. Not the same resentment that trust fund kids have towards their parents, which I find to be overwhelming, but still a kind of a, is this virtue signaling? Am I paying the price for this virtue signaling? I mean, one of the things that you, you should do as a parent is is have enough financial responsibility to, at the very least, make sure that your children are taken care of for the length of time that they're children. And ideally, you you can instill enough values of self-sufficiency and hard work into them that you can provide them with the means to succeed without guaranteeing them the income, which is pretty much a guarantee that they're going to fail. Sure, man. And and when I'm listening to these to these guys, you know, uh, go down this, this road, like, you know, what you're talking about, what it says to me is that as a pastor or as a person who claims to believe in God, it doesn't sound like they actually even trusted in God for the instruction on how to instill these things into their kids, meaning that you don't even trust your kids. You don't trust the instruction. You don't trust your kids. You don't trust yourself to have instilled these things in your kid to do what they should do with what they inherit. So, I mean, I, I just, I, I find it to be, you know, rather contrary. Uh, I think it's interesting that, you know, you know, people like, uh, you know, Steve Harvey, TV Jakes, who are more, you know, left-leaning and leaning and, and pay to the left-wing narrative, which is basically rooted in entitlements. And I think that's, uh, that's exactly the word entitlement. You know, yeah. and, and, and I get it. And, and nobody likes for people, nobody likes a person who feels entitled, but that's their worldview. They feel entitled. And why don't you want to give your kids this money? Because they're not entitled to it. And they get an applause for that. And I agree. It's like, no, they're, they're not entitled. You're not obligated to give them this, this money. But I think, um, one, like I said, did you really, uh, instructed, like you said, if, if they have laid this foundation, well, you don't really have anything to worry about. I mean, giving one, you're supposed to be mentoring your kids. You know, when you have a person who's pursued wealth and I understand you're going to have like this, you're going to have this, you know, 
kid who's going to be deficient in what to do with these things, whether they know what to do with it business-wise or what they're going to do with it morally and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is, if you didn't raise your kid up in that, what that means is that you've just been pursuing the money, right? And as the word of God says, it's not, it's not money, right? We know that money is not the root of all evil. It's the love, love of, of money, money, right? And if that's what you've been doing, you've been pursuing the money and not spending time with your wife and not spending time with your kids, right? Demonstrating, you know, these, these virtues that they're supposed to have. Well, then, yeah, you're most likely going to end up with a trust fund kid or an entitled brat who's just, you know, waiting for you to die so they can get their hands on your money and just do whatever right. with it, right? So, but if, if, if that's not the case and a person is just saying, well, I'm not going to leave my kids. I don't know. To me, it just kind of sounds, it sounds self-righteous. It sounds sanctimonious. It sounds like a pandering to something that the audience wants to hear because of it's this. virtue signaling. It's absolutely there. It is. Thank you. That's exactly what it is. And um, but I want to run this by you though, uh, Bill, because you know we we speak about people who've endured hard times, right? And they became stronger for it. And then, but why did they do it? Well, I I endured these hardships and I endured this hard I, wars and 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 things like that. So that my kids wouldn't have to have it so bad. So why do we see that as virtuous that the children would inherit a better world from somebody who did this hard work? And then we we congratulate that and then we curse the kids for being soft. Right. We look at this generation like, man, what's wrong with y'all? You know, this is this is what we did to to uh, to try to make sure that, you know, you had a, a, a better America and this is what you're doing with it. And. What is it? Doesn't that isn't that kind of like a similar dynamic to like, you know, with a father who is like did this hard work to make sure that their kids wouldn't. I mean, that's that's the father's dream. Right. I don't Mm -hmm. want my kid to have to go through what I had. Right. And then they give it to him. And then we curse the kid for being soft. Yep. Let me come back to that for a second. Mm -hmm. Uh, Don't let me forget it. Okay. Um, But uh, (laughs) but um, if you want to take like a like a, car, a cartoon image, this is a cliche, and it's a cliche because it happens so often, mm. right? So you have a situation where you've got, let's say, four adult children, and their biological mother either gets divorced from their biological father, or maybe she dies. Dad marries, dad's 70 and marries a 24-year-old pinup girl, right? Mm. Playboy bunny or something like that. And then in the will, dad gives all of it, everything, to the young wife, mm. right? And then these four children say, this isn't fair, we're being robbed. The fact that the father could give all of the money to the, to the young wife indicates that there is no connection between the father and these kids, right? Because it's not a question of legality or even fairness. If you, if you love your children and you find this wife who, let's just say for the sake of the argument, brings you happiness in your golden years and, and fine, Okay, she gets a piece. But when you find these guys who cut their entire biological family out and give everything to this to this uh, to this young woman, this trophy wife, what that tells me is that there's no connection between the father and these kids other than. Come on, you know, I'm 40 already. I'm 40. When do I get my money? Will you please just kick off? You know, that kind of thing. So when you make money more important than love, Mm -hmm. you're going to end up with a family that makes financial decisions based on love of money. And that's really awful to watch. But as far as the business of like, I want to work hard so my kids get something better. I think there's a a really important answer to that. Uh, And that's pretty much this. 
if um, if we take the case of my uh, my grandfather, who was the first of my family to come to America, he was a telephone lineman. He wasn't living in abject poverty, but let's just go maybe just 50 years earlier than that. If you're a hardworking man, you got a family of, of, of nine or 10, which was the case of my family back in, um, in uh, Lancashire, England. The first person up in the morning has to pump the water, you know, maybe go outside to a pump, a pail, boil it on a crummy little coal fire stove. There's a lot of hardship there, right? There comes a point when if you're working hard enough, this happened to everybody in this country at some point or another with infinitesimal exceptions. At some point in this country's history, in the 20th century mostly, but certainly in the 18th century, 19th century, some point somewhere, somebody went from we have to pump water into our house and have an outdoor toilet to we now turn on these magical uh, valves and not only does water come out, but hot water comes out, and we don't have to go outside to the outhouse, right? At some point in the history of this country, there was a father who had a house that started out as you had to go pump your own water, and then he brought in plumbing and electricity. Probably happened to the same family at the same time, right? That is a monumental increase in the standard of living, right? It's, a, it's an unimaginable increase in the standard of living. And up until very recently, every generation has been able to pass on to their children a significantly higher standard of living. This is true certainly through the greatest generation. I mean, those kids grew up in the Depression, went to World War II. They didn't want their kids to go through that. I'm one of those kids. Mm -hmm. And furthermore, those kids were born into a world with air conditioning and, and antibiotics, you know, and, and Novocaine, all this stuff. <laughs> so, so up until very recently, it was possible to work hard and to make life better for your kids. But what what we're up against now, I think, is very big. It's a societal thing. So so an exponential curve is one that goes like this, right? As time goes on, it goes higher and higher and higher and higher like that. The, the, the change increases geometrically as, as time goes on. We're living in a world that's asymptotic, which means that as time goes on, the degree of change gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And what I mean by that is if you're, if you're born into a world where you, at, where you as a child have 24-hour climate control. You've never been hungry a day in your life, no matter what you think. You've never been hungry, hungry. You've never been in pain unless you've been in an accident, and that pain maybe lasted for half an hour or an hour to get you to the hospital, right? You've never been in lifelong agonizing pain. You have 24-hour access to entertainment. You have 24-hour access to, to, to the internet, to whatever you want, right? You get to eat largely what you want, when you want, and, and you've now created a society where the number one health problem among the poorest people in your society is obesity. When you've got a society like that, the, the, there is almost nowhere left to go, right? How do you improve the life of your kids if you're born into a world that has all of these things? There is no significant monumental improvement. There's not even really any substantial improvement at all. What, do you, what, what are you going to pass on to your kids? A higher download speed? Is that, is that going to be you know, why you're going to work yourself to death? When, when life becomes so comfortable and so luxurious and safe and prosperous. I'm not talking about individuals now. I'm talking about a society. If you want to know why people don't have any so many kids anymore, it's largely because there's nothing you can give to them, right? You, you, my grandfather was a, was a telephone lineman in Pennsylvania in the wintertime, and he's up there stringing lines. He married a telephone operator in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. And he knew that in his particular case, he had seven kids, my dad was one of them, and he wanted to be a writer. 
But he couldn't be a writer because he had seven kids he had to feed, right? So he was a telephone lineman, which at the time was state-of-the-art tech job. So he became a phone lineman so that my dad could become a hotel manager so that I could become a writer. You see how that works? There's, there's a reason to make the sacrifices. When it turns out that you live in a world where either through the, the general affluence or living on our credit cards or government subsidies, whatever the case may be, if you're living in a world where you don't have anything to give to your children other than a more refined version of what you have, then you're in, at the very least, you're in a place that this species has never been before, ever. Mm. And, and more and more often, and in fact, on a daily basis, it seems more and more like the world that you're going to be bequeath to your kids is going to be worse. Their standard of living is going to be lower. It's the first time ever in American history, but we're, there's no question about it now, right? The kids are going to be, they're not going to have the opportunities you have. They're not going to have the education you had. They're not going to, they're not going to have the ability to have the luxuries or the freedom that you had because of the climate control, you know, all of this stuff, right? So, so all of this together creates a different incentive, emotional incentive for children. There's a biological drive to have children. But as we clearly see from, from the examples on the progressive left, it, it is, a, it is a, essentially a matter of faith and you, something you have to sign off on in order to call yourself a progressive, hmm. is you have to agree that having children is awful, that it's, it's, you know, it's going to kill the planet. And, and why would you think otherwise if, if there's no incentive for you to, to give the gift of, of I've, I've worked hard so that you can live a better life. That to me is the ultimate satisfaction. The, the money that I spend in, the, in, in life, the money I spend on, on my family is by far, by far, the most rewarding checks that I write because they hit me on some kind of a molecular level. And, and I think that asymptote is, is one of the reasons we're in the kind of trouble we're in now. Indeed, man. And, you know, the, the, the work that we've talked about, you know, that people to make a better life for the future generations and how do how do where do we go from there? It's almost like the work that we have to do right now. And this seems to be really hard is the work to not let the resources that we have and use those to destroy ourselves. You know, we're having yes. <laughs> we're having to storm our own beaches of, yes. ty of tyranny to keep us from destroying ourselves with the resources Absolutely. that we have. Uh, take, you know, yes. you know, taking information and and using information in ways that are just simply self-destructive just because people are becoming too smart for their own good you know that's that's what that's what we end up with and um you know one last note you know about um you know leaving this wealth and you know as you know leaving it to charity as opposed to leaving it to your kids and like i said mm -hmm. your kids not entitled to it it's your money you know you do what you want uh i may disagree you know, with the motivation for it and all that sort of stuff. And at the same time, agree with with why they wouldn't want to uh, and would want to give it to charity. But get, taking that wealth and giving it to charity as some sort of exercise in feel goodism or virtue signaling and things like that, you're basically going to ration out the money that you had to charities. And what's going to happen with that? You know, you may present them with some, you know, some enjoyment or comfort for, for a moment. And hopefully, you know, some of them will be able to come out of, of, of the situation that they're in, uh, as opposed to leaving an enterprise to your kids that they're familiar with, that they can keep going and help to maintain people having jobs, uh, where they can keep themselves fed and keep that mortgage paid until they, they become a homeowner and all that sort of stuff. Um, 
I think in a way that's, that's, well, not in a way, it's actually a flipping blessing to be able to do that. You're not just blessing your kids with that. You're blessing them to be able to give other jobs, which is a blessing. Which do you think is going to feed people more or do more for them in the long run and keep that going? I'm not saying at all, folks, that we shouldn't be charitable. Matter of fact, I mean, it would be great. As the Lord says, look, man, I give to you freely. I expect you to freely give, right? Mm-hmm. Meaning that I don't give this to you by state mandate. I'm not mandate. I'm, 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 I'm volunteering. I expect you to do the same thing. Not have the state take from you and do all this sort of stuff. I expect you to freely give, you know? And, uh, and we're, we're in a position where we can't really freely give anymore, folks. No. We're, we're not in that position anymore. So if you have it to freely give, if, if, if you've raised your kids up right and you can trust that they got it, hey, leave them your inheritance, you know, and don't look for the applause line. That's appealing to the people of the world. And as, Let me as just, add- I'll, I'll really, just if I could say really quick, TD, people like TD Jakes, it's like you should know better. The Lord called Peter Satan because of being caught up with the affairs of men over the affairs of God. This idea that he has appeals to the ideas of men, which the Lord calls satanic. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the final thing I would say about this is, if you say you're going to leave your money to charity, put aside what you do or don't do for your family. Mm -hmm. If you say you're going to leave it to charity, that means you're going to write a check or a series of checks to establish charities. And you're going to be one of many, probably thousands, maybe even tens Mm -hmm. or hundreds of thousands of donors in that charity. And they use them, let's just say for the sake of the argument, they use the money for for good purpose. Uh, There's no direct connection between you and the people that you help. You don't get to see the results of, of, of your charity, even if it's in the final years of your life. And certainly the people who are receiving the charity know it comes from donors, but it doesn't know anything about those people. I think a much more effective way, if you decide that that's what you want to do, is rather than writing a check to some big charity, I think what you do is you you, you basically fund the college education of, of, of 50 people who you select or, or who at the very least you approve of, right? You, you personalize it. You make it, you make a personal connection to the person who is benefiting because if you don't make that personal connection, then the person who's receiving the benefits has no sense of obligation. And if you do have a sense of obligation and you end up kind of like the saving private Ryan thing, right? It's like, earn this. Okay. Here's a present for you. Okay, it's coming to you out of just parachuting into your life. Now earn it. You've got it. Now go do something to be worthy of it. And and if you can make that connection, then wonderful things happen. But but the but the entire purpose of charity is to do good. And and when you have institutionalized charities, you're not terribly far away. Not that I don't agree with institutionalized charities, but on some level, you're just a step removed from the state taking your money and then distributing it to people, right? There's no ownership. There's no gratitude. There's no, there's no sense of, of, of pride. There's no sense of, of, uh, of um, generosity. None of it. Personalize it. You know, make it, make it individual. Make it count. And then make sure that the person who receives that largesse pays it forward. Mm. And that, folks, is our two cents on it before taxes. So if you can appreciate that, we hope you boogie on over to BillWhittle.com and become a member. If you're already two cents after taxes, that's what we're left with. (laughs) No, they'll tax that, too, man. You know, they'll tax that, too. But I hear you. I hear you, man. And and, uh, so we hope that you guys will like these videos, share these videos, you know, work them share buttons till they smoke, y'all. So 
Y'all be blessed. And until then, we will see you guys later. For Bill Whittle, I'm Alphonse Rachel. Rachel, Virtue Signal. See you guys later. Mm -hmm.